Welcome to A Life Lived Backwards, One Man's Life, the accompanying podcast to Larry Ruttman's memoir, A Life Lived Backwards, an existential triad of friendship, inquisitiveness, and maturation. Hi there, I'm Jordan Rich with a pretty easy task and a fun one at that. I pose questions to Larry and with that razor sharp memory of his and a great talent for storytelling, well, you just have to settle back and enjoy the ride. Larry, uh, I'd like to come back to uh, something, and that's the memoir that is so much a part of what you're all about these days, and I know how all-consuming it is. But in in the memoir, there's a chapter on why you wrote the memoir. So we want to explore that with you, if that's okay. Yeah, sure. Um, well, first of all, why would anyone write a memoir? What's the overall arching reason most people do it? <laughs> Well, I think I, I think people do it because they think they have a valuable story to tell to other people. I never thought that, but people kept saying to me, you ought to write a memoir, and I would say, why? And they would say, um, they would say, uh, because we think you've led an interesting life. I said, well, yeah, I've done a few things, but there's nothing all so great about it. Um, well, you should write a memoir. Okay, so that um, I said, well, I'll give it a try. And uh, I did I – d- I started off uh, be, being basically lazy. See, there's a truth. I'm telling you. <laughs> yes. And uh, so I had written a few things, and a lot of them were uh, autobiographical. So I said, I'll just string this stuff together, and it'll tell the story of my life. Mm-hmm. So Susan Wurst, who's my very fine and wonderful lady who's, you know, sort of does a million things for me, including putting the uh, memoir into print and advising me on various things and helping me with American Jews and America's Game. She's just a wonderful person who works over at the Harvard Divinity School, teaches cyber science. Um, she's a great person, a person of the highest moral character. So, um, And she says what she thinks. So I'm running this stuff by her, and she says she described it as, uh, I think, um, a collection of Larry Ruttman's writing. I said, well, it's not a collection. It's a memoir. She said, no, it's not a memoir. It's a, it's a collection of your writing. And I thought about it, and I said to myself, she's right. I'm taking the easy way out. And then COVID came along, and I had a lot of time on my hands, and I really started writing. Mm. And uh, not that I left out all those things that I had written, because they all did have autobiographical content, but I strung them together in a way that made a memoir. Did you have... Uh, beyond her, and she sounds like a great lady, did you also sort of uh, seek out other guides to doing memoir? Were there books that you read that were memoir uh, recently that that helped propel you or gave you hints as to how to proceed? Well, I'm a great one for wanting to do things on my own, and um, I, I, I sort of shy away from instruction I never took courses on how do you write and uh, mm. so forth and so on, whether it's fiction or nonfiction. Most of my stuff is nonfiction. But I do look for hints. And uh, I did look at some memoirs. It seemed to me, and this is this is purely off the cuff. I don't know whether it's true. A lot were by women. A lot were by women who faced terrible things like abuse and use of drugs and uh, abuse of husbands and uh, illness uh, and um, had st- stories to tell about overcoming things. And I thought those were sort of negative. I didn't think that I wanted to – I didn't think that my – I would discuss things like depression, as you know. Mm-hmm. We'll get to that at a later time, Jordan, because we've shared that experience. Right. 
But um, I think that basically the memoir I wrote is an upbeat memoir. So I decided to go in that direction. Mm. Um, so, yes, I looked into it. Um, there have been memoirs become a very popular form of writing, and I think a lot of it is extremely valuable. And I don't think, I, you know, I have no idea whether mine will fly with a broader public. Probably not. Um, I've, I've derived a great deal of enjoyment by writing it, and I think it will be seen by a lot of people because it will be in the libraries of uh, organizations that I'm a part of, and there's quite a few of them, and uh, that have libraries. And uh, so I'm not worried about it getting out there. Whether it gets out there in a commercial sense, I, mm-hmm. I have no idea. I think it could. I'll try. Um, so that, um, you know, on the question of why I wrote this memoir, I think basically it was an idea injected into my mind by other people. I started off on the wrong track. Uh, Susan Wirtz got me on the right track. I wrote a lot of original material in the last year or year and a half, and it's developed in such a way that now I'm really interested in it sufficiently to want to have, it's going to include a lot of photographs, going to include original uh, illustrative material, Mm -hmm. as you know. uh, It's resulted in having a logo. Um, It's going to give me a further identification why I'm so ambitious at the age of 90, I can't really tell you, but um, it's it's just there, and I intend mm. to follow it to its natural conclusion, which at some point will be leaving this earth before you get to my age. Well, not before the movie version comes out. Uh, there are many <laughs> you things— You know, it's interesting you say that, because one of the people that I discussed with you, I think—did did we talk about Herb Schwartz yet? Uh, it sounds like we did. I, I, Whose daughter was in the movie business, and he tried to... Well, anyway, um, one of the copies, not the actual published copies, but the, you might call them... Well, I've been studying the law of copyright. I don't want to get this out there right. and be published until I want it to be published. Exactly. But it's not published to the public. So, so it's a manuscript. Is that what you would call it? Yeah, the man, you know, I want I want it to be read by working people. draft. Yeah, yeah, working draft, so that uh, one of the people who'll get it is uh, is is a big name in the movie business. I believe we did mention that name, and uh, I I just said that jokingly. But who knows? With you, anything's possible. One of the things I wanted to ask you, uh, and, and uh, almost all writers have an opinion about this. Did you learn more things about yourself when you started putting? "Quote unquote pen to paper." In other words, did the act of writing these things and from memory and and thoughts, did that evoke more emotion? Did that come up with stuff you even forgot about that just kind of came flowing? Or yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, the, the latest example is this business about acting and Shakespeare and mm. uh, quoting from his play as you like it. Um, but um, I think that uh, even previous to that, uh, yes. Uh, uh, as as I write about these, it you know like Miss Greenshields that story I told. That's right. I, I you know that just came to me. I'm I'm talking about the play in which in which uh, another guy that uh, was also a, a very top graduate of Brookline High School, uh, Carl Sapers, was kidding around on the stage, and uh, Miss Greenshields, the whom I never knew, was directing the play, and I didn't get to know her very well then. And I began thinking about her. And I, yeah, I did find out about myself. Mm. I found out that I could commune with the 
people who had passed away. No, not really. No, it's 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 true. True. I did my own little memoirs, you know, and I thank you for helping to promote that in the community. And I learned a lot about not just where I was and what I was doing, but why I did it and and how I reflect on it. So I just wanted to get your take, and I'm I'm, I'm not surprised that you, at ninety, you're still learning. Yeah, you know, you, and you say a lot of nice things about me, Jordan, but I should say here to everybody who may be listening out there that, um, you know, I think you're a pretty remarkable guy, not only in your work, um, because you make this, as you just referred to previously, a conversation, uh, and that really was what I wanted, uh, conversation. I didn't want it to be one-sided. What about this? What about that? Yeah, it's a conversation. But personally... You're just a very, very fine person and uh, one of those people that you – I mean, I'm always saying to Lois, you know, Jordan is really a terrific guy and you are, yeah. um, you know, because you're – unlike me, who's probably more of a egomaniac. Um, <laughs> <laughs> now, now, ego easy on yourself. But you're not that way. Uh, you're, you're very uh, – I would say modest, actually. Yeah, I, I, I think I think so. But I have we all have egos. Freud was right, but I, I appreciate that. I want to get back though to it, one of the things that people have said about me uh, on the junior level is I'm a Renaissance guy. I would put you right up there with Renaissance men, with all due respect to the uh, to the Renaissance period. And here's why: because you said you don't have any interesting things to talk about. Yes, you do. Just listening to the podcast and doing it with you, but. There's just enough on the music alone, the music in your life, and the connection to classical music, baseball, I mean the connection to baseball, and then of course education, something you're very high on. So these are all these are all very, very specific loves and interests of yours that are quite broad and pretty interesting to a lot of people. Well, they're interesting to me so that I'm saying to myself they – uh, you know, uh, you know, when it comes to classical music, for example, a lot of people stay away from it because they think it's they can't understand it. It's arcane. It's this that. Uh, who knows what a diminuendo is? And when they start talking about allegro assai, what, what the hell is that? And you know, I don't understand what the composer is doing. They're they're acing themselves out of something great by making it more uh, uh, difficult than it is. All you really have to do is listen. Yeah. And um, so when I, how did I come to classical music? Well, I didn't take a, an instrument, and um, I didn't um, really know that much about classical music until my late 20s. I bought one of those albums, The Ten Greatest Things, uh, Ten Great Compositions, whatever it was. Mm -hmm. So one of the compositions was Mozart. 21st piano concerto. You say, I kind of got, what's so great about the guy wrote 27 piano concertos? There must, there must be one or two that are good, but how could 27 of them be good? Well, they're all fantastic. Some are great. They run from greatest to one of the greatest works ever written. Yeah. And um, so the 21st piano concerto was the one that has the Elvira Madigan mm. theme in the second movement that became so famous. And because of that movie, they mm -hmm. kept playing. Mm -hmm. And actually, at the first performance of that in 1785 in Vienna, at a subscription concert, he ran his own subscription concerts, uh, the people asked that be repeated. And uh, so I heard it, and I said to myself, Jim, wow, that's really beautiful. 
And um, so I said, I started to listen to some of the other concertos of Mozart, and it expanded, so that now, you know, he he's my favorite composer, but I love them all. What are Beethoven, Handel, Bach? Uh, well, there's an emotional uh, connection we all have to music of different sorts, but there's something very extra special about classical music. For instance, um, Samuel Barber's Adagio for strings, to beautiful. me, when I'm in a mood uh, for something contemplative, reflective, uh, sad, and also deep and, and interesting, I put that on, and I, I can listen to that over and over and over again. But you're right. I mean, you grow and and expand your love and interest in it, it's, a, it's like a drug, a good drug for many of us. And you become, there's so much to it. I mean, I don't know why it is. <laughs> there are a lot of classical performers, they're not, not even composers. Like I, lately I've been listening, the three greatest female pianists in the world are probably um, from France, and she's a Jewish lady as a matter of fact. She spends. A lot, she has other interests, social values, animals. She has a farm for wolves, of all things. Is Helene Grimaud, who's absolutely gorgeous. I mean, when she was fifty, now she's very, very beautiful. And then there's uh, uh, the Chi- the Chinese young woman, uh, Yuzhou Wang. Mm-hmm. She's she comes out in dresses up to God knows where really sexy, small, petite, and her talent is, I mean, out of this world. But she she says, you know, I'm going to, hey, I'm going to dress the way I want. It works for me. <laughs> <laughs> and, then there's, uh, and then there's another one from uh, behind, what used to be behind the Iron Curtain. She grew up in, in uh, she's not too old. I'm trying to think of her name. Um, it's one of those names that's difficult to pronounce, ending in Shivili or something like mm-hmm. that. She's vi- she's really nice looking, and um, and plays out of this world. Are you uh, just to take a sidebar for a second? Are you also a fan of the live symphony experience? Oh yeah, I go yeah. to I go to the Boston Symphony. And 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 what do you think of Andres Nelson's, who's our Great. current conductor? Isn't Great. he amazing? Yeah, he's amazing. Yeah, he is, and I've discussed him. With uh, people that have sung with the orchestra, like uh, like uh, uh, Graham, what's her first name? Renee Graham. Uh, no, Ron, uh, I'm sorry, Rhonda Fleming. Sorry. Yeah, no, uh, Renee Fleming. Renee. You Fleming. know, I have I have uh, written back and forth to Renee Fleming, but not. I never got specifically got into the music, but I'm thinking of um, her friend. Uh, they've played together in several operas. Um, the last name is Graham. She's a mezzo soprano. Soprano. And anyway, she was in Boston, and she's a real diva from West Texas. She was a tomboy. But when she came down in the, I guess it was the the famous hotel in Copley Square, Mm -hmm. came down looking like a diva, dressed to the nines, and she, but she's extremely intelligent. Susan Graham? Maybe it's Susan Graham. But in any event, uh, she talked about Andrus Nelson's, how wonderful he was, and how he did the Mahler symphony that they were doing together that has a vocal part, how well that he did it. And um, he does have something extra special. And um, his wife, of course, his previous wife, they got divorced. They had a child. Um, but um, 
She's a great soprano. Yeah, uh, opera singer from Europe. Yeah, yeah, right. very good, so, very yeah. good. Uh, before we, uh, I don't want to stray too far, but I want to get back to the uh, subject at hand. Why yeah, you wrote the stray. memoir? We, we do stray. We're strayers, and that is, um, I, I love this note: idiosyncratic persona. You know, the most interesting people, Larry, and I, I don't put myself in this category, are a little uh, edgy. There's a little edginess to you, and I think that's what makes you interesting. And you're edgy in a, in a lovable way, but uh, you're, you're, you're not afraid to take a swing and you've taken a few punches. But talk a little bit about what you mean by the idiosyncratic persona. Well, I think you just hit upon it to some extent. I think that um, I think I do I, I do think of myself as edgy, and I know that um, I probably bother some people because I'm unafraid to say what I think. And 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 we were discussing before um, all the world's a stage, and the idea that a lot of people are not themselves and they're really afraid to be themselves, and they don't want to be edgy and they don't want to upset other people. But I think if you're going to live your life truly, you're going to upset other people. How can you get along with everybody? It's impossible. And um, so that um, I'd rather be – let's put it this way, Jordan. I'd rather be edgy and upset some people than say to myself, why didn't you say what you had on your mind? Exactly. You regret that for the rest of your life and then you realize – you should have, you should have, could have, would have. That's the worst uh, kind of person. Yeah, to be. I don't want to be that. Um, yeah. But there are times, of course, that you restrain yourself. I don't want anybody out there to get the idea that I say anything, anytime to anybody. Far from it. I mean, you don't want to hurt other people. But when it's important, you should put yourself on the line. Well, you're certainly putting yourself on print in uh, on the line, so to speak with warts and all. And one more important question. Is it tougher writing about the warts than it is writing about the fun stuff? I would imagine it is, but maybe not. Well, not for me because I have no shame. (laughs) (laughs) Well, there's a great answer that uh, analysts could have fun with for the rest of time. Well, that's because it's interesting. Uh, Just a quick aside, I, I wrote my piece uh, my book that you were kind enough to read, and uh, I found it easier to write the tough parts for some reason. Maybe it was cathartic. I just wanted to get it out. Well, that's part of it, and I think that um, I think that uh, people, if if people are going to read about you, they deserve the truth. Mm. And um, you wrote about depression. I did. And um, I wrote about depression uh, in a very complete way, and. Um, I mean, you know, people would like you to think that, they, that they've lived their lives, uh, the people who are not telling themselves the whole truth. They, they want everybody to think, oh, it's been a wonderful life. We had three kids. They all did great, blah, blah, blah. They don't want people to really hear the warts. Mm-hmm. And um, the warts, the, if you're lucky, you can learn from the warts. I thought I learned a lot from depression, and you probably did. I too. did, I did, and uh, and I still reflect on what I learned, and and I think there's in the in the giant scheme of things to read a memoir that's lily pad and 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 just coated with rose petals is boring, quite frankly. I I, I would not have wanted to put something out, and I know you don't want to put something out that's just sugar coated. That was the word, because that's that's yeah. Well, that's okay. If if a memoir can give somebody a reasonably accurate picture of a 
reasonably interesting. Well, let me put it this way. A really colorful, no, not colorful, that's the wrong word. A person who's famous and has achieved a lot in their lives can write a boring memoir if they don't reveal anything. Mm. On the other hand, somebody like me, maybe, who's led, you know, an interesting life but nothing so special, uh, really tells the truth, people are going to like that. I couldn't agree more. People are definitely going to like it. And not to mention the fact that you write well, so that makes a big difference. You know, if you're reading along and, and the prose is interesting and catchy and has that uh, Larry touch, it's going to be helpful. So, Well, you, you know, I love writing those program notes for these podcasts because I know that a lot of people probably write very short program notes. But I, I like to write in sort of a well, first of all, uh, yeah, I like to write things in a colorful way, and I like um, putting words together. I like alliteration. You'll notice sometimes I use mm-hmm. words that start off with the same letter. Or, and um, and I like to put things in there that are sort of offbeat or fresh or uh, sar- not sarcastic but ironic. Stuff yeah. Like well, you picked the right time, and you're the right guy for the job. So congratulations. <laughs> I hope so. And, you know um, – yeah, go ahead, Jordan. I'm sorry. No, I was just going to say the uh, the memoir is is not the capstone on your life. Uh, I have a feeling that more writing is to come. You mentioned the show notes for the podcast. I can tell you're digging that, and uh, there's there's the beauty of writing. You can just write anything, anytime, even if it goes nowhere, and it's a great way to express yourself. Well, like I said to you before on one of these other sessions we had, I can't remember what I had for breakfast yesterday. <laughs> I can remember today I had a, a fried egg and uh, a, a waffle with uh, maple syrup. Oh, sounds pretty and good. And a couple of pieces of bacon, coffee and orange juice and some toast, and it was great. Yesterday, I don't know, I have to think about that <laughs> one. But um, I think that um, uh, that uh, – but I can I can remember – past events with great clarity. Yeah. And um, so that um, – and it, it is fun to write about them because I believe that you can – if you write cleverly and in an interesting way, you can bring to life a very ordinary experience so it so people can get a kick out of it and also say to themselves, yeah, I had an experience like that. I couldn't have described it that way, but that's how it was. Oh, you know, I might add about uh, why I wrote the memoir is that uh, when it comes to asking why, well, we discussed that to some extent. Um, Jordan, you know that I'm an inquisitive person. but And I don't know whether I mentioned in a previous uh, episode, I think maybe I did, that this all started when I was like a year and a half old at Revere Beach when my parents would let me wander off to uh, other people's blankets that I didn't know. Hmm. That's another thing, talking to people I don't know. And I would always be asking them why, why. And uh, so I be I was inquisitive from, from the time I was an infant. Um, yeah, you mentioned my interest in education. I really do think that education is the key to success in this world. I mean, I don't think money is, uh, and uh, but I do think that the more people know about life, and uh, the more that uh, education can teach us not just mechanistic things or militaristic things, uh, but also the things that the liberal arts teach us about art itself and about history, which is very uh, informative to people. Uh, I think that uh, the more that uh, people know 
about those kinds of subjects, the more equipped they will be by being educated about them to deal with the world. And so, you know, gifts that I have written up for the estate plan of myself and my wife have to do with scholarships, whether it's for veterinary medicine or for Jewish studies or for musical studies or for uh, studies uh, in other fields. Um, that is tremendously important. We've talked about, I do have a variety of interests about a lot of different things, and we mentioned music. Uh, and I think that um, one thing that um, has been very helpful to me in writing up to this point is that having written on various subjects like my hometown and about dogs and about classical music and about Judaism and about baseball and uh, things like that is that I've met a, a great variety of people. And I think that I'm very, very fortunate that I've become very friendly with a lot of these people, many famous, but a lot of them not, so that I, I communicate with these folks in a, in a regular way. And um, I think that that really um, is, a, is, a, is a big thing in my life because I, look, I think with wonder, and I, I say to Lois, I say, what am I, Marvin Miller became a close friend, the guy that brought mm. free agency to baseball. Baseball, right. Now, I, I say to Lois, I said, and this goes for a lot of other people, I said, how did I, ever be, how did I ever become friendly with Marvin Miller? To me, he was like a god, the stuff that he was doing. I thought he was just a great guy. Turns out he was a great guy and not like the owners said, somebody wanted, arrogant wanted to take over baseball, but a really wonderful person who was soft-spoken, Hamish a guy. And then, how did I become his lifelong friend so that he would actually ask me about doctors in Boston that he might speak to about his condition that finally, that finally resulted in his passing? I said, I, I just I, I can't believe that my life took that turn so that I would be friendly with those kind of people whom I consider all smarter than I am. So that um, I think that um, I think the friends I've developed from my writing career have made life have given me more to write about, but also have made my life so much more interesting and rewarding. You know, law is a wonderful career, and I had written before, and I don't know whether I mentioned it on this program. I mean, I you know I've never demeaned what lawyers do. Lawyers do great things. And they're often not appreciated for what they do. Many of our great leaders, whether it's Lincoln or uh, Roosevelt or uh, other people, were lawyers. Mm. And to understand what makes democracy go, you need lawyers. You also need journalists. Uh, and you need a number of other people, uh, broadcast journalists, people like that, to um, – help us understand what's going on. Uh, but to be a writer is a different experience. Everybody makes lawyers jokes. But if you write a book, and you've written a book, Jordan, people think, oh, he wrote a book? My God, I could never write a book. And I thought to myself, I could never write a book. But people love people who write books. It's true. It is. It's a great icebreaker. <laughs> it really is. No, and I, I love the fact that you, you have these friendships 
that we can all gather in life, and we all have friends, but you have some really cool people that we've talked about and will talk about in the future. And uh, that's a great gift that comes along with writing. One more thing, you talk about lawyers and writing. I mean, look at all the great lawyers who've left the law or taken a sabbatical to write, the John Grishams and the Scott Turows and all, all of these dudes. They've done really well. They have a knack for that, as you do. So there you go. This has been a life lived backwards, one man's life. The accompanying podcast to Larry Ruttman's memoir, A Life Lived Backwards, an existential triad of friendship, inquisitiveness, and maturation. You can subscribe and download this podcast, available on all podcast platforms. For information on Larry, his books, lectures, and much more, visit the website LarryRuttman.com. Also check out the extensive Larry Ruttman page on Wikipedia. This is Jordan Rich inviting you to join us again next time as Larry shares more stories about friendship, inquisitiveness, and maturation on A Life Lived Backwards, One Man's Life.